Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and I will not be joined shortly here by Matt McLean as we've had another little scheduling problem. Matt's on his way from uh, one side of the state to the other for work, and so we're not going to be able to join Matt. So unfortunately, you folks are going to have to listen to me ramble for a little bit here today. But hopefully we got some fun stuff to talk about. And luckily, uh, we're in a relatively unimportant part of the Packers' season, although it was the very first preseason game, and one which saw the Packers fall to the Tennessee Titans 20-16 to in a bit of a monsoon. Um, it's one of the more bizarre starts we've ever seen, as it really didn't mean a whole lot. And now I know a lot of you are thinking that the preseason doesn't mean that much most of the time, but in this case, we didn't even get to see most of the number ones play any time together. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, Eddie Lacy were healthy scratches due to the weather. Jordy Nelson, who uh, tweaked a hamstring a little bit uh, before the game, he was not able to play as well. So we did get a chance to see some of the reserves and backups play uh, most of the game. I'm sure it was very useful to the coaching staff to be able to see um, these guys in action play for an extended period of time. But for the rest of us, it made for a somewhat underwhelming start to actual games. So I'm going to be brutally honest with you. I didn't see a whole lot of this game. We had uh, Matt and I and, and our friends and family, we had our annual fantasy football draft. And the only day that it would have really worked this whole summer was during the Packer game. So I was much more focused on my steaks on the grill and uh, my picks than I was the Packer game, but I w did have a chance to re-watch some of it and see some of the highlights. I'll give you my very brief observations of what we saw, and then we'll move on to your comments, which uh, people gave us some what-if topics. They've been submitting them for quite a while, and so we're finally going to have a little bit of a crossfire what-if combination, and I'm going to try to get through some of these topics. So uh, hopefully it's an entertaining show, but if it's not... Um, I guess I apologize. So I'm going to sit here by myself and I'm going to sip my downtown brown ale from the Pearl Street Brewery out in La Crosse in my dad's commemorative 1991 Green Bay Packers mug. And uh, this is one of my favorite mugs, even though if you know anything about the Packers, there's absolutely nothing to commemorate about the 1991 season. But at least this proves that he was hardcore and uh, he would support him through the thick and thin, which is something I try to emulate. Nonetheless, let's talk about the game a crazy spectacle. Not only was it uh, a very rainy game, but the TV broadcast here in Wisconsin didn't work all that well. Uh, we missed the first minute and a half of the game due to technical difficulties. It kind of uh, was flickering in and out a little bit. But what we saw of the first drive is that James Starks looks like in uh, he looked like a beast on Saturday night. And I had talked all, all through the offseason that I thought that a, he was a top priority as a free agent, and once they signed him, that B, he was going to be one of the best things they did this offseason. And I certainly looked right for about five minutes on Saturday because he just looked like he had great vision, tough runner, finished off that last run beautifully, and in the slop to have a guy that can do that. And then adding that to what Eddie Lacy can do, this could be a very, very entertaining backfield. And... Um, uh, hopefully everybody can stay healthy, but I'm very, very excited about what James Starks was able to do on Saturday night. Uh, let me get his numbers up real quick here uh, to see exactly what the uh, what it was for him. He had six carries for 49 yards, which is an 8.2-yard average and a touchdown. So I would assume that most of his, his work was on that first drive. Uh, we did get to see quite a bit of the 
uh, Packers backup quarterback battle happen in some adverse conditions, and you can't take too much into it, but uh, Matt Flynn, he was 5 of 10, also got the start, was 5 of 10 for 49 yards, which 4.9 yards per attempt is not optimal, but uh, he was safe with the football rough conditions. Scott Tolzine, 8 of 12 for 124 yards with a 10.3-yard average. He did have a little bit of a fumble, but he made a really good play to get back on it. I'm not going to comment too much on this because I didn't attentively watch the quarterback battle, and this is one game in really weird conditions, but I think it's pretty clear what we've said for a while and that Scott Tolzien appears to be a, a little bit more physically gifted player than Matt Flynn is. Flynn is, he's got something special about him. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens because Scott Tolzien could very well beat him out uh, just from his physical play, but I wonder if what kind of consideration Flynn gets. I'm a person who believes almost wholeheartedly in stats being able to accurately predict and reflect what we've seen on a football field. But last year, Matt Flynn, um, he got me to believe that intangibles really are a thing because uh, this guy is just something that you look at his stat sheet and then you watch the game and it tells two different stories. So um, Matt Flynn definitely has the intangibles. Scott Tolzien looks like he has the lead intangibles right now. That's in space tangibles. I know it probably is kind of confusing. But nonetheless, other than that, uh, I really don't have a whole lot to add. Uh, we've heard different things about David Bakhtiari playing well in camp. I didn't get to see much of him. People have said Julius Peppers is down in camp. My two cents on that real quick is that I'm not too worried. He's 34 years old. I think he knows how to get prepared for the season. I'm not too worried about him. I had heard Clay Matthews was doing some good things. I honestly didn't even notice that he played, but I had heard that people said he was okay. Uh, so I'm going to defer to the beat writers on a lot of the details of this game because it was kind of a blur of drafting and people and rain. And so I didn't get to take this game in as much as I usually do. And uh, I was going to rewatch it last night, but I mean, come on, it's the first preseason game in the middle of a rainstorm. So I didn't get around to it. Plus, you guys sent me a bunch of topics that I would much rather talk about. So let's quit beating around the bush. The Packers lose 20-16. to 16. Uh, Hopefully they can pick up a couple more preseason wins. Um, th their roster seems to be good. Maybe they can get there. Uh, uh, two, two wins. If you haven't read my article about the correlation between preseason wins and regular season wins, I suggest you check it out. It's on the Green and Gold Forever website. And so read that real quick, and you can kind of see how history has shown that the preseason tends to predict what happens in the regular season. But as I say in the article, it's just a mackerel kind of study, so don't get too worried. I'm certainly not going to be if this team doesn't win in the preseason, but it's just some food for thought to think about. But now, after I said I wasn't going to beat around the bush, and then I did anyways, let's get to, I don't know what we'll call this, crossfire what if? What, what if crossfire? What? I, I'm not sure. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. Mikowski appears Oh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? 
What would the future look like if... And that signifies the beginning of What If Crossfire, the first time segment that combines two of our long time segments in which I'm going to attempt to somewhat quickly answer four What If segments. And a What If segment is where we take a event from the past in Packers history, we change it a little bit, and then we debate the ramifications. This debate is going to be rather one-sided since I'm the only one here. But I would love to hear what you guys think on these, especially those of you who submitted these. So uh, definitely... Take notes as we're talking about. Tell me what you think I got wrong. Uh, tell me your own spin on things because I love to hear your guys' own opinions and scenarios for what happens after these what-if scenarios are introduced. So we have, uh, gosh, a handful of them here, and I'll just start from the top of the ones as I sketch them down. If I miss yours, yell at me on the Facebook page, and I'll get to it on the next episode. But we're going to start with Daniel Johnson, who wrote on Facebook uh, a while back that said, what if the Packers never won a Super Bowl with Brett Favre? How long do you think Green Bay would have put up with his gunslinger playing style and throwing costly interceptions? All right, so trying to envision a scenario in which Favre doesn't win the Super Bowl uh, is rather difficult because of how good the 1996 team was. Uh, perhaps you could have said there was an injury or... Uh, maybe Steve Young isn't hurt and the weather is better in the divisional round and San Francisco is able to beat him, although I, I doubt that would have happened because the, the Packers crushed San Francisco in the 96 divisional round with Favre throwing for less than 100 yards on a team that wasn't known for running. So I think that uh, we'll still get into the scenario, but I think that taking away the 1996 Super Bowl from Brett Favre is incredibly difficult to do in any kind of realistic scenario that doesn't involve an injury. Um, and that even includes Denver beating Jacksonville and beating New England. I, I still think the 96 Packers probably defeat the 96 Broncos in the Super Bowl. But if Brett Favre doesn't win the Super Bowl, certainly there's no... Um, again... Let's say that he's still pretty much the same player and not assume that he has any kind of epic meltdown uh, in the playoffs in 1996 because the two the, the losses that he had had in the other Holmgren playoff years were not the, the later Brett Favre losses. They were just games where his teams were outplayed or Favre played pretty well and they lost. Um, you know, Favre would always turn the ball over a few times against good teams, but uh, certainly nobody is blaming the 95 NFC Championship game or Super Bowl 32 or that loss in 1998 to San Francisco on Brett Favre. So we can assume, let's assume in 1996 they lost in a manner similar to those playoff losses, and then let's just carry history forward. They lose in Denver again with the back-to-back -back games. Um, let's say they lose to San Francisco in 1998, and then Holmgren leaves, and they keep having the same trajectory. Honestly, as I carry this out, I think it plays out exactly the same. Uh, I know that's a really boring answer, Daniel, but I don't see a scenario where anybody turns on Brett Favre because it's hard for us now, having won two Super Bowls in the last 16 years, 17, 18 years. Gosh, that, that 96 season doesn't feel like it should be that long ago. But uh, So 18 seasons ago now. And the Packers had not won anything in a long, long time. So I don't think anybody would have had these kind of expectations that we have for the team today. They have no history to base it on. Going to two Super Bowls in a row and losing both of them would have been still the third best era in Packers history at the time and would have 
it 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 would have been the best thing to happen in the franchise since Lombardi left. I mean, I think the Super Bowl win is awesome, but as you saw, the fans never really turned on Favre as awful as he was in the 2000s. And honestly, if Brett Favre hadn't announced his retirement in 2008 after the 2007 season, I don't think they would have ran him out of town. Uh, or I, I don't want to say ran him out of town because that makes me sound like I was against what they did, but they wouldn't have had the uh, very salty separation like they did. So I think that had Brett Favre not won a Super Bowl in 1996 and his career is largely the same, I think his career is just that, largely the same. I don't think anybody really turns on Brett Favre. They would have looked back on it the same way the, the uh, Dolphins fans look back on Marino and say, gosh, how did we not snag one with this guy? But nobody ever turned on Marino. Dolphins fans still love Dan Marino. There's a lot of non-Dolphins fans that still love Dan Marino. I think Favre would have been remembered in, in a lot of the same way. And, and quite frankly, his career as is uh, draws up a lot of those comparisons. Is that as good as Favre was? How did they only get one Super Bowl? So... I think Favre is pretty much bulletproof no matter what. It, nobody's walking around calling Brett Favre the best quarterback of all time with his one Super Bowl ring. I think he'd be largely remembered the same, and his relationship with the Packers would have been the same. So that was a really long, rambly way for me to get to if he hadn't won the Super Bowl, nothing would have changed. So thank you for your patience. Daniel, you have another one that you sent us uh, on Facebook. Uh, I'll get to that one a little bit later. Uh, John Bellish also sent us one in. Uh, our, this is one that he's had on a couple of times here, and we sort of addressed it last time when we talked about the 89 season, but I really find the 19... Let me just read it, and then I'll get into it. Sorry, this is going to be kind of disconnected, as it always is when I'm by myself. Are you going to do the what-if about Don Mikowski staying healthy in 1990 and the pack making the playoffs on your next show? That would be a good one. Also, another good what-if has to do with Joe Paterno getting the head coach GM job in 1971 instead of Dan Devine, and uh, then obviously bringing with him Jerry Sandusky. So I'll do the first one, and then we'll get into the second one. 1990, to me, having not lived through it, uh, I was alive at the time, but I was three years old in 1990. So um, that season is incredibly interesting to me, and I find myself drawn back to that whenever I'm watching old games or looking for old games to get or researching old Packers stuff, I would love to know what it was like in that time period to have the optimism uh, after the 1989 season and then have, I think it was something like five starters or seven starters, including Don Mikowski, hold out going into 1990. That had to crush people's hopes. Mikowski is not allowed to play in the first game of the season as punishment. They start Anthony Dilway, who had thrown one pass in his career, and he lights up the Rams, who had just been in the NFC Championship game. Then he kind of comes back. It's just this incredible topsy-turvy season where... It looks like Dillwig's going to be good and the team is good, and then they come crashing back to earth. Then Mikowski has a resurgence. Then Mikowski gets hurt. In the game Mikowski gets hurt in, Dillwig comes back in and leads them to a come-from-behind victory and then leads them to another victory the following week. The Packers are 6-5. and five. They are in a very easy conference as far as a playoff spot is concerned. That year, in 89, the Packers were held out of the playoffs the, the last year, the five-team format on a tiebreaker in both the NFC, um, or I'm sorry, they were a game out in the uh, 89 playoffs of the wild card, and then they lost the division on a tiebreaker. The Packers, if it's 
I can't imagine what it was like because in 1989, the Packers went 10 and six. And after they won their game uh, on the last week of the season, they needed any one of the Rams, Eagles, or Vikings to lose. And they would make the playoffs and all three of them won. Uh, so uh, that had to be frustrating. And then in 1990, they have that topsy turvy thing. They get to six and five and then they lose their last five games. All winnable games except at Philadelphia. The rest of them against non-playoff teams. And they lose all of them. And I can't imagine what that's like. I have some of those games. I haven't watched them all yet. I really want to do that someday and do a full retrospective either in podcast form or in an article. Because that season is just incredibly interesting to me. So now that I've needlessly set up tons of back history to this season. Mikowski gets hurt in... Week 11 of that season. Let me let me check and make sure I'm right. I'm sorry, week 10, he loses at Arizona. So Mikowski comes in after his holdout. He struggles in his first game. They lose to Kansas City. Then he has a game for the ages, a, a comeback last second win against Detroit. Then they struggle again. He hits rock bottom um, in week 6 at Tampa Bay. Has 355 yards passing, which actually I think is Mikowski's highest uh, single game total in his career and then throws five interceptions against a bad Tampa Bay team uh, they go to two and four things look really bad for the Packers and then Mikowski comes back they beat the Minnesota Vikings in a hard-fought game then they play the undefeated defending two-time champion 49ers super tough they lose uh, 24 to 20 but Mikowski has an absolutely phenomenal day 122 quarter or 112 quarterback rating then he follows it up winning at the Raiders in Los Angeles uh, a team that would go on to the AFC Championship game and then has a really, really hot start against Arizona before uh, tearing his rotator cuff in an injury that not only cost him the rest of the season but arguably ruined his career. Uh, he admittedly never regained his form after that and said his arm strength was pretty much destroyed by that injury. And so, um, Packer fans, if you don't or if you aren't aware of Don Mikowski, he very much was a poor man's Brett Favre. Definitely was not as good, no matter how many arguments anybody elsewhere has ever made for that. I'm not sure that's very prevalent, but he was very much a similar player, but he wasn't as good as far. But he could have been a, a pretty good player for the Packers had he maintained his 1989 form. And for the longest time, people talk about 1989 like it was a flash in the pan and that he never did anything after that. And he didn't, but I think I blame the injury because looking at this and trying to envision a 1990 scenario... Don Mikowski in the four games after the five interception game, so he's kind of trying to get his feet under him after the holdout. After the five interception game, the next four games before the injury are his best four game stretch of his career, all against pretty solid defenses. San Francisco and the Raiders was almost the Super Bowl that year, and he played really tough against both of them. He had a combined quarterback rating of 98.5, 815 yards. Five touchdowns, two interceptions, and essentially three and a half games. He was only 26 years old at the time. And it makes me think that the fact that he had finally looked to be consistent uh, a little bit here, it was the first time he had three straight 90 quarterback ratings in a row in his career. Um, so I think that 
he might have been turning the corner into a more consistent player. As good as he was in 89, if you go back and look at the stats, he was very up and down. He'd have one week where he'd have a quarterback rating in the one teens, and then the next week he'd be down in the 60s. So he was very up and down and up and down, and it looked like he had start to right the ship in 1990, and then the bottom falls out with the injury. So I think if he doesn't get injured, certainly they still beat the, the Cardinals. They definitely uh, go on to beat Tampa Bay the next week. Then they get into the games where they start sliding, and I don't think they would have won them all because their defense wasn't great, and Mikowski's still Mikowski, and he ebbs and flows, but I think that you look, Minnesota would have been tough. They could have maybe won that, but it, it would have been tough, so I, I say that would still be a loss. I think Seattle, they could have potentially beat. Seattle now was a borderline playoff team that year, had a 9-7 and record, so you know what? Let's say they beat Seattle. They still probably aren't going to beat Philadelphia. They got whooped as it was, was 31 to nothing in the real uh, scenario, but I don't think they beat Philadelphia. Then they played Detroit, who was bad that year, lost to them by seven in the real world. I think they win that game. Then they lost at the 5-11 and 11 Broncos uh, by seven points with Dilwig, and I think they would have beat them with Mikowski. So if you change that up a little bit, instead of being 6-5, and five, they're 9-7. and seven. That easily gets them into the playoffs. New Orleans actually got the first ever NFC 6 seed with an 8-8 eight and eight record. So looking at it real quick, the Packers were 5-7 and seven in the conference with the 6-10 and 10 record in the real history. New Orleans was 6-6 six and six with an 8-8 eight and eight record. So if the Packers beat... Uh, if the Packers beat either the Lions or the Vikings, then they can pull into a tie. If they beat both of them and then even lose the other three games, they can go 8-8 eight and eight and they would have made the playoffs at 8-8. Eight and eight. So... Now, before we go any further here, I actually switched microphones, and I want to apologize that apparently my microphone wasn't hooked up correctly, so the backfill microphone from the laptop was actually recording me, and I, I just took a quick listen to it, and I guess it's okay, but if the audio quality was not very good, I apologize for that. So, what a disaster of a podcast. What do I do without Matt? This is this is not going good. But for the 1990 Packers, let's continue here and say that had Mikowski not gotten hurt, I believe that they definitely would have made the playoffs in 1990. Replacing the New Orleans Saints, they would have started the playoffs against the Bears at Soldier Field. They had lost to the Bears twice in 1990, uh, and the Bears are a weird team, Ditka's last few years. They made the playoffs twice, both in 1990 and 91, both at 11-5, and five, and both years they really backed into the playoffs. In 1990, they started 9-1, and one, ended up 11-5. and five. In 1991, they started 9-2, and two, and ended up 11-5. and five. So they kind of had this free fall into the playoffs effect the, the last two years that Ditka made the playoffs, but they still always had really good defenses. And they don't seem like a flashy team, but they always rushed for a ton of yards. In 1990, they led the NFL in attempts, second in yards, most touchdowns on the ground. Um, they had the number six total defense, ninth in points, and they forced 45 turnovers, which is very, very good, obviously, uh, more than anybody else in the NFL, and had a really good turnover differential. Differential 20 or plus 19 uh, in the turnover differential. So the Packers would have had their work cut out for them. The actual game against the Saints is a very boring, low scoring 16 to 6 win by the Bears. Mike Tomzak starting for the Bears uh, amongst uh, very maligned Mike Tomzak at the time for the Bears. But the Packers had lost twice early in the season. The first game was in week two. Dillwig got the start after his phenomenal week one performance. So 
Uh, Anthony Dilwig played. He kind of struggled. Mikowski came in late in the game, and it's actually really exciting. Uh, the crowd goes nuts when Infante p- finally puts Mikowski in, and he just looks like a million bucks, drives him all the way down the field, and then throws an interception in the end zone. So that's kind of Don Mikowski's career in a nutshell is his return in 1990 against the Bears. Then he plays a sloppy game in a sloppy condition in uh, that the field was in a sloppy condition. I think... Uh, Mikowski was not himself in a sloppy condition, whatever the heck that means. They lost to the Bears in week six, make that week five, and that was it. By the time they reached uh, October, the Packers, or excuse me, the first week in October, the Packers and Bears had already played twice, and so the Packers are playing catch-up from there. I wouldn't have been able to run them down for the division in hardly any of these scenarios, I don't think. But I think Mikowski, remembering that he was starting to get his feet underneath him, would have had some very um, soft defenses to kind of build himself up going into the playoffs. I think Mikowski definitely could have done something in Chicago. The cold never seemed to bother Mikowski. He had one of his uh, really good games uh, of his 89 season the year before, uh, second to last week of the season in Chicago, put up 40 on the Bears. And so I think he had a chance to maybe defeat the Bears. So just for fun, let's say the third time is the charm for the Packers, and he was able to beat the Bears, uh, the Packers defeating the Bears in the first round. So now the 9-8 and eight Packers would have gone um, as the sixth seed to San Francisco. And they won at San Francisco in 1989 in a very hard-fought game. They won 21-17, to one of only two teams to beat San Francisco in uh, 1989 in the, on that playoff run. And, and San Francisco started the next season 10-0 and uh, had, had been doing quite a bit. So there, there had to be like, uh, I don't know exactly, one of the few things I don't know exact about old useless NFL stats, but I, the 49ers would have had to have had a stretch of 20 or so games where the only loss was to the Packers. And so a lot of people still talk about that. Well, oh, they beat the 49ers. If they'd have made it in 89, would the Packers have beat them? We said no on their other podcast. And the 1990 49er team was very, very good to uh, arguably better than the Giants team that won the Super Bowl. So I don't think that the Packers have any chance uh, of beating the 49ers in 1990. So had they made the playoffs with Mikowski, they go to the playoffs. They maybe beat the Bears, but they definitely don't beat the San Francisco 49ers. And the interesting scenario about this is that Mikowski is a different player entirely without that injury. And if you eliminate the Mikowski injury, maybe more than anything that we've talked about that could jeopardize the Brett Favre, Mike Holmgren train, it's Mikowski not getting injured. And then you have a Lindy Infante coach team that is a 10-win team, then a playoff team, and potentially a one-game-in-the-playoffs winning team, it's hard for us to put ourselves back into that season unless you have the 1991 Commemorative Cup like I do. The Packers had won one playoff game in the last 23 years by the time 1990 rolled around. So Mikowski and Infante become pseudo-legends if they win, and if they win at the Bears in the playoffs, there's no way Infante gets fired after the 1991 season. Even assuming that they have the exact same season in 1991, if they win at Chicago in 1990, they're gold. They're definitely there in 93, or in 92, and I don't think Ron Wolf potentially gets hired 
the whole future of the Packers as we know it is jeopardized if the 90 Packers beat the Bears in the playoffs. Um, But who knows what would have happened. I don't think it's so hard to envision a scenario where they ever become as good as they were with Holmgren and Favre, with Infante and Mikowski or whatever would happen after that. Um, I I can't rule it out, though. I mean, if Mikowski was 26, um, so he would have been in 1990 the same age that Brett Favre was in 1995. And so imagine how long he could have played with the team, could have been successful, and if he would have had his rocket arm that he had in 1990, he could have matured into a a very good NFL quarterback. Um, Seeing what happened with Infante in Green Bay and then subsequently what happened in Indianapolis, I don't have high hopes for him being the guy to take them anywhere. But if they are successful in 1990, then you're definitely not getting Mike Holmgren in 92. Brett Favre either stays with the Falcons and flames out, or um, Ron Wolf goes elsewhere. I don't know where he would have gone. Maybe the whole Holmgren-Favre-Wolf train goes to Tampa Bay. Uh, so who knows what happens there, but I would say... Uh, to wrap things up on this definitely not abbreviated crossfire what-if segment, that if Makowski doesn't get hurt in 1990, the Packers almost certainly make the playoffs, and then Makowski and Infante almost certainly do not leave uh, as a pair after 1991, and Holmgren and Favre and potentially also Ron Wolf do not come to Green Bay in any capacity. So um, is all of that... Losing all that worth, one win against the Bears 23 years ago? That's up for you to decide. And real quick, we're going to touch upon the other one that uh, John sent us, that what if the Packers had hired Joe Paterno in 1971 instead of Dan Devine? And we're getting right up into the area where it's very difficult for me to, uh, to speculate on this stuff because, A, uh, 1971 was the year my father graduated high school. My mother would have been, uh, let's see, in the fifth grade. So I really uh, don't know anything about this era. And even as someone who collects games and uh, watches a lot of old games, anything before about 1975 is basically doesn't exist outside of a couple games. So I can't even access the Dan Devine era. I have, I've seen one game from the Dan Devine era, and it's uh, hardly watchable. So I don't really know what would happen other than Dan Devine was a very good college football coach. And that's about all I can draw on is that Dan Devine in Green Bay gets kind of the stigma of being a, a bumbling buffoon who traded away half the team for a 150-year-old John Hadle. Um, he ran John Brockington into the ground by giving him the ball a million times. And so he kind of gets this reputation up here as not really knowing what he's doing. He was 173-56-9 as a college football coach. That is phenomenal. He won the national championship with Notre Dame after he left Green Bay. And so... I don't think that life would have been all that different with Joe Paterno. If Dan Devine has the chops as a college coach. Now, Joe Paterno is definitely a legend um, as a football coach. Um, and, and I know you threw the Jerry Sandusky thing on the end there, but, uh, John, um, uh, I don't think you expected me to anyways, but I definitely don't care to give one ounce of thought to 
Jerry Sandusky being around here. Um, I really have nothing to add to that uh, <laughs> at all. So I, I'm not going to talk about him. But Joe Paterno as a football coach was very good. But I think if you go in a short stretch, I don't think he was ever that much better than Dan Devine as a college coach in a very small stretch. He won two national championships. That's only one more than Dan Devine. Um, he won some Big Ten titles. Joe Paterno, about a 3-to-1 ratio of wins to losses, whereas uh, Dan Devine was about the same, uh, a little bit better than 3-to-1. So I think that if Joe Paterno is the head coach of the Packers in the 1970s, maybe we have more draft picks for Bart Starr to work with in 1975 and 76, but certainly um, I don't expect anything great to happen with Joe Paterno as the head coach. Dan Devine is, is every bit... The uh, uh, a success story in college football. Uh, so if if he couldn't do it, there's nothing to suggest that Joe Paterno would have been vastly uh, improved. And you can throw other guys in there like Lou Holtz, who totally flamed out in the NFL. Um, other college coaches from that era who did nothing in the NFL. So I'll say that uh, if if Joe Paterno is hired and and brings all his bunch, I don't think that anything different happens. All right, next up on the list is we're going to go back to Daniel Johnson, who says, what if the Packers weren't able to sign Matt Flynn last season? And I know I kind of plowed through your first what-if topic, Daniel, but honestly, I think if the Packers hadn't signed Matt Flynn last season, I think they win the division with an 8-8 eight and eight record instead of an 8-7-1 and one record. Tolzien, as I talked about earlier in the podcast and as we've talked about in the past, I think Tolzien is a pretty talented guy, and most of his poor play last season was due to inexperience. But you could tell in that Giant game that this guy is talented, and I'm expecting him to win the backup quarterback job this year. And I think if they just throw him to the Wolves and let him stay in there, there's no doubt in my mind they lose that game to Minnesota. There's no doubt in my mind they get destroyed by the Detroit Lions. But I'm thinking that he still could have won two of those three games against Atlanta, Dallas, and Pittsburgh, just like it happens. And the way the tiebreakers worked, um, I'm not 100% here, so let me take a look real quick. And uh, All right, so the tiebreakers are, if they're both 8-8, eight and eight, so they would have had an identical division record. At three and three, uh, they would have split the head-to-head. So then the next would have been common games, and okay, so the Bears actually would have had a seven and five uh, to six and six common game advantage if the Packers would have lost to Minnesota and everything else is the same. So if they would have lost to Atlanta, uh, let's say Tolzien takes a while to get up, and they lose to Atlanta. Um, to get up to par, and then they lose to Atlanta, and then they go and beat Dallas and Pittsburgh, and then Chicago, they would have been 7-5, and and then the Packers would have won the conference game schedule. So, you know what? Now I'm starting to change my tune, uh, Daniel, right in the middle of this thing here. I think maybe if they that Vikings tie um, is huge, (laughs) um, if you think about it, because had Tolzien... In order for this scenario to work, they would have had to lose to the Falcons uh, or or they would have had to beat the Falcons and the Cowboys and the Steelers, and I don't think they necessarily could have done that with Tolzien at quarterback. So if the Packers weren't able to sign Matt Flynn last year, I think they 
probably don't win the division. And maybe that big time when Aaron Rodgers returns, it wouldn't have been that big of an exciting thing. There's a potential that maybe he comes back too early. uh, But I doubt that because from the sounds of things, the loss to Dallas would have eliminated them if the Bears do everything the same. So, um, oh, well, not necessarily because they could have still won. Uh, No, no, yeah, I think, yeah, because the Bears would have been 8-6. And then the Packers would have been six and eight with no, yeah. So the loss to Dallas um, potentially would have eliminated them, um, and then definitely the following week the loss to Pittsburgh would have eliminated them. So if they don't sign Matt Flynn, they probably don't make the playoffs last year. Um, in the grand scheme of things, we're a little too close of it to decide what that would have meant. But as we saw from what happened last year, there didn't be seem to be a whole lot of change this off season, um, other than Ted being a little bit more assertive in in the off season with free agents. And I think that would have definitely happened if they hadn't made the playoffs since it did when they did make the playoffs. So if Flynn doesn't get signed, I don't think the Packers make the playoffs last year, but uh, they would have developed Tolzien some more. I don't think it would have been all that different other than the record. Um, And last year, as exciting and interesting as it was, I think in the grand scheme of things will not be all that important uh, to Packers history. And last Chris Krieger on Twitter last fall sent us a question. What if the Packers had made the playoffs in 1983 or 1989? I am sorry, first of all, for letting this sit so long without responding to it. We're trying to get more active on Twitter. So at green gold forever uh, is our, the number four, of course, is our Twitter handle. So follow us on Twitter, ask us some questions. We didn't tweet during the game at all last week because we were doing other things, but hopefully we can continue to do that. But I'm sorry for not getting back to this, but what if the Packers had made the playoffs in 83 or 89? Uh, I'm not going to go into 1989 because we already did that, Matt and I, a couple weeks ago, and I'll try to add the link in the description for this podcast. 1983 is very interesting. If you're not a fan of Packer history or if you're not old enough to know anything about the 83 team, This team is still talked about by long-term fans as one of the most exciting teams in Packers history. The most famous game uh, from that season, of course, being the 48-47 Monday Night Thriller over the Washington Redskins. And this team is talked about for how great their offense was and how bad their defense was. The question has always been, if, if the defense was just a little bit better in 1983, could this team have been a Super Bowl team or could have been great? Uh, Lynn Dickey, actually... Uh, had an incredibly prolific season that took years for his records to get broken. He had 32 touchdown passes that year, which Favre uh, broke in 1994, but is still amongst the tops in team history. And then his yardage mark, which was 4,458 yards, wasn't topped until Aaron Rodgers' phenomenal season in 2011. So he was there for a long time. Uh, For years, people have talked about how this team... If they would have had a defense, they could have done something special. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. The team as it was went 8-8. They were one of the highest scoring teams in the NFL that year and uh, allowed some of the most points. They were the fifth highest scoring team in the NFL, 26th most points, and this is in a 28-team NFL. They went 8-8. They lost the division of the Detroit Lions by one game. If they had beaten the Bears on the last week of the season and the Lions had lost, they would have won the division uh, with a 9-7 record. But there's no way this team, A, if they even won the division, they weren't going anywhere. Um, And I don't really have a B there, so I don't know why I started the A-B thing, but the 
it's literally just me kind of rambling to you tonight, so I'm, I'm going to have some of those. I'm, uh, if it irritates you, I apologize. They turned the ball over 50 times as an offense that year. That's more than three a game. I recently have watched five, five or six games from this season, and they're very exciting, but they're incredibly frustrating. Lynn Dickey is like old Brett Favre all the time, where he can turn it on and be one of the best quarterbacks in the game, like he is against the Houston Oilers in week one of that season. I don't think he throws an incompletion in the first half. He throws five touchdown passes. He he fights through injury. This guy is as tough as nails, and he's an exciting player to watch. But he's also way overconfident for his physical abilities. He's fearless. He's fearless both as a player at physically. Uh, there's a game that I saw from the 83 season. They're playing the Giants. They get crushed. But Lawrence Taylor comes free on a stunt, and Lynn Dickey steps into him, gets obliterated, and throws the ball about 30 yards downfield. This guy was fearless as a player out there. But that also translated into him being fearless about the risk of interceptions. They lose a game to the Atlanta Falcons in November of 1983 that essentially costs them the season, where the final two touchdowns that the Falcons score are interception returns for touchdowns by the same guy. Both almost on the exact same play, Lynn Dickey forcing the ball into triple coverage. It has no business being thrown, and he just doesn't care. He thinks he can fit it in there, and so he throws it. And so I don't think they could have done anything with this team in the playoffs. They would have played the 49ers in the first round. Um, They would have lost. They would have lost that game. There's no doubt in my mind. This team was probably super exciting to watch, but incredibly frustrating. They had, I'm just looking at it on Pro Football Reference right now, they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games where they turned the ball over at least four times. And now I know in the 80s, teams turned the ball over a lot more. And actually, just on a quick anecdote, uh, having seen a bunch of those games recently, that's a much more exciting style of play. Um, and now we had a bo- bunch of rule changes this year that's going to make turnovers even less likely. Uh, turnovers are good for the NFL. It makes the game wild and crazy and fun. But four or more in half of your games is unacceptable for a team. It's horrible. This is the season that cost Bart Starr his job. Um it's just hard to watch, and I don't think they would have done anything. You can make a little bit of an argument, and let's just do that for sake of argument. They played five overtime games that year, and they lost four of them. So let's give them all five uh, just for fun. They would have been 12-4. and four. They would have been the two seed in the playoffs. They would have hosted San Francisco. Still probably would have lost. But had they lost to San Francisco or beat San Francisco, they would have played the Washington Redskins in Washington in a rematch of that Monday night game, and they're not going to win that game. Washington was very good in that. It would have been a really exciting NFC Championship game probably, but I don't think they're going to win that either. So uh, I guess this is a thing where the 1983 Packers definitely fit into that lovable loser narrative of the uh, 80s Bart Starr Lynn Dickey, James Lofton, Packers, but they were never going to be a serious threat to do anything um, with, uh, with unfortunately, with Lynn Dickey at quarterback. I could see how people still like him and he's still remembered because the guy is maybe the toughest football player I've ever seen on, on game film, and that includes Brett Favre. Um, 
and maybe I wouldn't say he's tougher than Favre, but he's as tough. This guy's unbelievable. He he came back from a broken leg, from a messed up hip, from everything. The guy can barely walk in 1979, and when he gets better, he's he's an exciting gunslinger, and the guy is not afraid of anything. Lynn Dickey's a cool guy, but he wasn't a championship quarterback, and so I don't think anything happens in 1983. So one thing I will say is I did recently get to watch quite a few games from uh, the 1977 through 1983 about the Packers, and I'm hoping that I can write a brief collection of my observations from those games because it really is a forgotten time in Packer history, and I would like to share some thoughts about that. There are so many exciting players and storylines and things that are really lost to history. Um, People like me care about it, but even uh, people who really like the Packers and like the Lombardi era and, and have been fans for you know as long as I have you know going on twenty years now, nobody seems to care about that era and uh, it's an era that I personally have loved to read about. I I'm glad I didn't have to live through it because watching those games for about a month and a half, I was tired of losing and poor play, and I got to watch game after game after game. And there was really nothing on the line, and it just still is tired watching. So I'm glad I didn't have to to live it in person because I can't imagine how frustrating it was to lose for 25 years. But it's still something that's worth remembering. And I always think of the thing where uh, in sports you tend to forget about the losing teams, and they get dogged on by the local fans and kind of remember it as being schlubs or, or not very good. But you got to remember, Lynn Dickey tried every bit as hard as Brett Favre did. He just wasn't as good. And so I think it's important that you always appreciate the, the teams that weren't the champions because they certainly tried to be champions. And I hope I can do a little bit uh, of service to that forgotten era of Packers football coming up shortly. All right, so I'm going to wrap this up soon because this has been 45 minutes of me just talking to a computer screen here. I hope it's been somewhat entertaining that I haven't rambled too much, but I like to talk about this kind of stuff. I certainly wish Matt was here to to talk to the to talk about these things with me certainly makes for a more interesting dynamic but I just want to say to everybody I thank you so much for following the podcast and always contributing with what ifs and things like that I want to apologize for not doing what ifs recently they're hard to do I like to research them and make sure that I give a fair assessment of the the scenario and uh, the possible outcomes and so I know it's a super popular segment and I definitely want to continue to do those so Uh, Thank you for sending those, and I guess just if we miss them from time to time, have patience, and I won't be offended if you send us a second reminder that you posted on one a while ago, Um, so definitely keep that in mind. We did have one other Facebook comment from Caleb, and I better get to this since I didn't do his what-if segment, but he said, give the people the fantasy draft must-haves and flops that Green and Gold Forever predicts. Now, Matt's a much better fantasy football player than I am, so maybe we'll have to readdress this once he's around. Matt actually won our championship last year. Uh, I did not do so well in our league. I'll just give some real brief observations of mine, and hopefully Matt can, can talk about it. Honestly, I don't have any hit-or-miss players. Um, I think that the little strategy that I would suggest for this year, which I probably didn't adhere to in my own draft, but that I'll share, I wouldn't reach too hard for any receiver that isn't Calvin Johnson. With the new rules changes and with the talk of how good the rookie receivers are this year, I don't think you're going to have a hard time getting receivers. Even if you have injuries or if you have sluggish people who aren't performing how you expected, 
I think receivers are going to be a dime a dozen in fantasy this year, and almost everybody is going to produce to some degree. It's going to be a bit of a crapshoot because there's going to be guys who are going to be really good one week and, and down the next, but I would take my chances on the wide receiver position being one where you can always find an effective spot starter. And I would focus on running backs, and I would focus on quarterbacks. And one thing I will say is to look at your league rules and crunch the numbers a little bit to see if it really does make sense to draft a running back before a quarterback. Every magazine, every TV show says you have to go out and get your running back. And I know the standard scoring is usually 10 points for... Uh, or excuse me, one point for 10 receiving yards or 10 rushing yards, and then six points for a running back touchdown, whereas a quarterback, it's four points for a passing touchdown and one point for 25 uh, passing yards. And it certainly makes it sound like the running back would be a better choice, but just do the math because I'm not sure it's really all that great unless you're getting a super elite player. Just real quick, trying to do the math. If you take LaShawn McCoy last year, he had 2,100 yards from scrimmage. So that's is 214 points. And then you have his 11 touchdowns by six. So 214, that's 280 points for LaShawn McCoy. And then let's look at Nick Foles, who you probably could have got way down on the list, and certainly this year. Last year he had a phenomenal season, probably won't have that same season. But let's take the 2,800 and divide it by 25. That's 115 points, but then it's 27 touchdowns by four. And so the difference is kind, I mean, it's somewhat negligible there. And uh, Nick Foles actually rushed for three touchdowns there, so that's another 18. So Nick Foles is in the 240s, and LaShawn McCoy is in the 280s for point output last year. And that's Nick Foles only thrown for less than 3,000 yards. So just keep that in mind. Look at the scoring carefully in your league and decide if the running back's worth that much. Because... I know you need them, and maybe you need to get them early, but if you're in the later round and you can't get LaShawn McCoy or you can't get one of these heavy producers, don't reach for a running back because you think you need a running back. Get one of those superstar quarterbacks that's going to throw 30 touchdowns and going to throw for 4,000 or 5,000 yards because they're going to outproduce a marginal um, or or one of the the back side of the top 10 running backs. So um, I I don't... Look at how your own league scores, but honestly, if you could get Drew Brees or one of the 6 through 10 running backs, you're better off with Drew Brees no matter how your uh, team is scored. And so maybe people are doing that anyways, but I just every magazine I ever see always has the running backs outweighing the quarterbacks, and I don't think that's the case even with the handicap scoring. And so I'm sure Matt can give way better fantasy advice than I can. I just lose all the time and draft players that get injured, so... What the heck do I know? So the Packers are now on their way to St. Louis in early start time uh, at 3 p.m. at the whatever dome now, Edward Jones Dome, I think, in St. Louis. So hopefully the Packers can get some chances to play with their first team offense and defense and escape injury, and uh, we'll see a little bit what they're all about. I don't expect Aaron Rodgers to play that much just because of how Uh, daunting that St. Louis defensive line is. I wouldn't want him out there very long if he didn't have to be. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but I doubt that we'll see too much of Aaron Rodgers. But then it'll be nice to see Flynn and Tolzien uh, get some chances against that real, real tough St. Louis offensive line. Uh, Excuse me, defensive line. So that's all I have today. I appreciate you for sticking with me so long and listening to this probably boring podcast of me just talking to you 
But it'll be better next week when Matt returns, and I thank you for contributing, and I uh, would love to hear your comments, especially on the what-if topics. So for Matt, who's on his way to Eau Claire from an undisclosed location, I'm Eric Oshkosh. Thank you very, very much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone.